This week we are interviewing Meb, an amazing runner with an amazing story. I promise you it's going to blow you away and it's brought to you by audible.com. <laughs> Ready? We are here for Spartan Up Podcast in Pittsfield, and it is still raining. It's been raining for 173 days. Noah's Ark. <laughs> We're going to interview Meb Kafli. Hopefully, I have his pronunciation correctly. Close. Um, incredible runner. Crushed Boston, crushed New York in the Olympics. American, but you'll... You'll start to get it when we get into the interview. Yeah, an unbelievable um, story. Unbelievable story. We've got Colonel Nye's going to chime in. We've got Dr. Johnny, and we've got Sefra Lavoom. Lavoom, lava. And let's go. Let's yeah. go see what he's all about. Absolutely. We are here. You got me? I gotcha. We are here at Spartan Up the Podcast. I don't even know where we are. Anaheim, California? Is that where we are? <laughs> we're in a hotel um, with a conference that we're the only ones at. I'm with Meb. I can't even pronounce your last name. You're the only marathon runner to ever win New York, win the Olympic, and win the Boston Marathon. Is that right? The only, yeah, except the medalist. No, I didn't win the Olympic Games. I was silver medalist. The only, the only medalist in the Olympics, Boston Marathon champion, New York City Marathon champion. <clears throat> why is it? Why, why would it be tough for um, a gold medalist, let's say, in the Olympics to win um, New York and Boston? Why, why hasn't that happened? I think the reason it hasn't happened the three uh, championship is because you know as an athlete a lot of things happen you know you have to pick up that day you have to deal with injuries you have to do with food poisoning you got to do everything and that day has to come together for you and sometimes you get second place that's why it's not uh, Olympic champion versus Olympic silver medal and then also how many marathons have you done experience plays a big role also and. Uh, you know, it's hard to pick at each single one of them, and longevity. longevity. You, got, you got to have the perfect day three times in a row. Sure, you got to have the perfect day, but also right. longevity. I mean, I done, I won, I won Olympic medals ten years ago, and I'm just won Boston ten years later. So it's not, it's not, it's not often that it happens. Somebody runs for that long, and uh, especially in the marathons. And I won New York five years ago, 2009. So, you know, you have you go through ups and downs. And, uh, but never give up persistence and perseverance to be able to drive, to get the most out of yourself each time and every time. What's the, uh, what's the saying? Um, it's, it's more perseverance than anything. There's a lot of smart people, <laughs> right? There's a lot of people with a lot of talent and this and that, but at the end of the day, it's always perseverance that wins. Do you think that applies to you? Almost definitely for me, perseverance. I mean, I didn't, I, I've been three Olympics team, 2000, 2004, where I won silver medal, and then 2008, you would think it would be my peak period to win another medal or go to the Olympics, but unfortunately, I had a public stretch fracture, didn't go to the Beijing Olympics. So do you give up, or do you start setting new goals, like I did for New York, New York City Marathon 2009 was my, my personal Olympics. I couldn't wait four years, so you have to set new those goals. And how do you come back from pelvic stretch fracture where you can't even walk, can't even stand up to have weight on your hip? You have to crawl on your elbows and knees. But it's not how many times you know how many times how many times you fall, but how many times you, you pick up yourself bad. and be able to endure that. I mean, and you have to go about a year and a half of therapy. You have to go so many doctors, and it's not fun. You know, you can be depressed and whatnot, but at the same time, you got to test the heart was there to be able to motivate you to get the best out of yourself. When you were down, when you had that pelvis um, mm -hmm. hip fracture and you're down for a year and a half, did you have in your head, I'm coming back? What did you have in your head? You know, when I had the pelvis stretch fracture, it was uh, almost close to culinary retirement. You know, just that, you know, I was on my elbows and knees, like, moving to one, like a 10-month-old 10, 10 baby. 
because I cannot get up to, if I want to go to something, I've got to crawl to it and then use a wall to go from like this one step at a time. So when you're doing those, you, you think, you consider yourself, oh, I'm done or I have to retire and whatnot. But at the same time, what I was doing in training gives you confidence, gives you the ability to say, you know what, I'm not done yet. So you have to evaluate yourself. Is it, why is it happening to you? Not because you chose it to go that route, but because you got injured, you got a, you know, I didn't even realize I had a pelvic stress fracture because the situation was so different. When I didn't make the Olympic team, my good friend Ryan Shea passed away. And when you didn't make Olympic team or didn't have life, that kind of puts it in perspective. And right. the, they kind of- Frame of reference, I, I call it. A bit, it's a big one, right? Yep. Frame you of you have the right frame of reference just because well, you come from Eritrea. I was born in Eritrea, Eritrea and I lived there in for 10 East years. Africa, mm -hmm. and you lived there for ten years. Correct. And then you and your family, uh, five brothers and sisters. Yeah. So my dad basically had to walk 225 miles from Eritrea to Sudan to save his life, and leaving behind, you know, six kids and a wife. And then she has to do her role as a mother and a husband to be able to make sure we we're taken care of. And then five years, I didn't have no dialogue or communication with my father for five years, and then he made it to Italy. And then we got help from Italy to be able to get us back from the war that was going on for 31 years. And, you know, one of them were born in Italy and then, you know, came to the United States on October 21st, 1987. You look a little Italian. Parla tanto poco poco. Wow. You guys, so, so you guys spent, some, how long were you in Italy? Un anni meso. Wow. Which means a year and a half. Nice. <laughs> and, you, and you learned, you picked up the language, every, uh, the whole know, family? When, when you're a 10-year-old, your brain is like a sponge and picked it up pretty quickly. And, you know, six months we were speaking it fluently. And, and, in fact, I got an email from my teacher just this week. And uh, 27 years later, I'm still in touch with her. I used to write her in, in Italian Christmas or holidays like that. And she, when I went to visit her, she pulled out all her bedside drawer and all the letters were in there. So, yeah, I mean, uh, we picked it up pretty quickly. But, uh, you know, at the same time, when we came to the United States, we didn't use it as much. So we still have some, understand, I understand 90% of it, but the speaking part is a little bit difficult for me. A little rusty. Sure. So, so he, your dad leaves at, you're five years old. There's a war going on. Your dad leaves. He walks 225 miles, and his plan is: you, do you know the plan at this point? <laughs> the plan is not knowing. You know, you have 225 miles just in the wilderness. You have hyenas, scorpions, snakes. Uh, I mean, bag of barley, cantina water, and stick for protection, and a matches in case the hyenas come, so you can light a match. They're colorblind, so they can disappear or kind of go away. But no, there's no. You don't know where next next night you're gonna sleep at. You know, you got a tree. You know, you can't sleep on the bottom of the tree because then animals will attack you. So you have to sleep on the bottom, at top of the tree in the branch between, in the branch between your legs and this way. And then he would have a nightmare. So, no, there was no plan. And uh, we just hope and pray that uh, my mom was praying actually that he hopefully he'll make it and, uh, and look after us. Were the kids asking, hey, mom, where's dad? Was that going on from... I'm pretty sure there was, and then my bro and my and my dad was more like a businessman going to beforehand. And uh, my oldest brother had kind of felt it, but I was... Pretty young, young, to, young yeah. to remember that, but so he, he come, So how did he convince Italy to get involved and, and uh, help you guys escape? So when he was in Sudan, uh, his uh, ex-girlfriend uh, who had a child with Ruth, my sister, Letta uh, Michael, she sponsored him to come to Italy. And then when he got to Italy, uh, he, they helped us, both of them, Letta Michael and my dad, and then Dr. Brindici, who is my dad's father, uh, my dad's boss. I allowed him to, to sponsor us, and he asked him actually. My dad asked my Dr. Brindici, his boss, to say, "Can I have a 10,000 lire, uh, an Italian 
money to, right, yeah. to see if we can loan to save the family. And he asked them, Dr. Preacher, is that to save one person or six kids and a wife? He said, six kids and a wife with the money that I have saved. He told them to come back the next a few days later. He gave them full of envelope. He says, has, which is about six thousand US dollar conversion. He said, here's ten thousand liter, and it's not a loan; it's a gift. So that's how we got saved. And that, and, and so six thousand dollars was twenty years ago. How many years ago? Yeah, twenty. Twenty. I don't know. You're doing the it's math. A lot of money. It's a lot of money back then for somebody. It was ten thousand liter, six thousand US dollars, nineteen eighty-six. Yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah. And um, and so that, how long of a process was it then for you guys to escape? Well, the process for for us to come out of church was pretty long. I mean. You know, the journey itself is five years with separation, but I'm for sure the first step started then, and then eventually sure. just a long time. But I didn't have any doubt with my uh, father. It's just my mom was doing the work for her, going to walking from the village to the capital. Sometimes a way of transportation is wagon, and the wagon doesn't go until it's full, so you have to wait or just trot along with your feet. And that's what she did, and she made it all possible. And it was, there was a lot of people that helped us make sure we, we got everything was solved. And, and so then you, you make it to Italy, and mm-hmm. at that point, are you starting to run yet? <laughs> I never knew running was a sport. I, as a little child, every child played uh, soccer with a makeshift, uh, you know, you put a long sleeve shirt or put a stuff with plastic and make a circle as, much, as, as circular as possible, and you sew a double layer so you could, when it bounces on the dirt, it has a couple layers to go through when we get old, and then going to Italy, we played soccer, and then uh, came to the United States. Uh, it was by accident uh, that I figured I was running. I'm like, I saw people running. I said, what are they chasing? They didn't have a soccer ball to chase with. And, uh, Wait, so you're in the United States. You're 12, 13? How old at that point? When I came here, I was uh, 12 year old. But when I first ran in PE class, physical education class, I was 13. And uh, the PE teacher said, if you run hard, you're going to get A or B. Or you're gonna, if, you miss, if I see you mess around, go for a run, you're going to get DRF. And you get a Roosevelt Junior High Mile Club t-shirt in San Diego. If you run six minutes and 15 seconds, and you get a t-shirt, you get an A, you get your picture in the gym. I ran as hard as I can, and I ran a five minutes and 20 seconds. That's how my God-given talent was discovered. Wow. So right then, that, right at that, that mile, somebody said, this guy is... Coach Duclord was his name. His name, he called the high school coach, Ed Ramos, says, we have an Olympian here. Wow. <laughs> so that's how my... And he meant started. it. And, and he meant it, yeah. And, um, all right, well, let's take a break. I hope you're not sitting still while you listen. If you are, you better get a burpee break in. We are proud to announce we have a new sponsor, actually our only sponsor, Audible.com, and they're offering our listeners a special deal at audible.com slash SpartanUp. They have 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products, including my book, SpartanUp. Don't forget, you can get a free audiobook and 30-day trial today by signing up at www.audible.com slash SpartanUp. I checked in with Tim Nye, Colonel Nye, I checked in with Sephra, I checked in with Johnny, and they all allowed this sponsor. Now get back to your burpees. All right, I joked earlier, I, I couldn't pronounce your last name, it's Kofleski. Yeah. And, and has it been somewhat um, of a hindrance to not, some people are saying, uh, well, you're, you're an import, you're not American, but you're pretty American. I mean, you've been here for a long time. Besides the Native Americans, we all have immigrated from That's somewhere. Right. So That's the right. United States is a land of opportunity, a land of immigrants. And I happen to be in the first generation of immigrants, but what's your grand-grandparents from or your uh, parents I don't from? even want to say. I'm from, we're from Italy, <laughs> and you're speaking to me in Italian. I can't speak back. So, there's, I mean, everybody comes from somewhere, and uh, I, mean, I have a complicated, difficult name, yes. But, you know, the USA is a land of immigrants. And, um, all right, so let's go back. So you, you run the 520. 
the coach sees it and says, we got an Olympian here. And um, how'd you feel? Well, I didn't speak English, so he, I didn't know what the Olympics were when he said you're going to go to the Olympics after around 520 miles. So I was like, okay. And uh, didn't, I didn't think it was a big deal. I just ran my hardest. And uh, obviously, I want to ask my dad. And this is 1988 Olympic year, but uh, you know, I didn't watch it. I didn't, we didn't have TV. didn't watch the race. So it was difficult. But at the same time, I was got ninth grade. People started acknowledging. People gave me high fives to give myself confidence. And I was known as a fastest seventh grader in the school, so it gave me, you know, sports gave me kind of like, uh, got me out of my nutshell a little bit, I'd have been shy. Well, you're now you're on a pedestal a little bit in school, right? Because, and you were a, a new guy. I'm the new guy that yeah. can run fast, and uh, that yeah. kind of helped, uh, you know, make me friends. And anybody else in the family? You've got, um, at that point, a bunch of brothers and sisters. And, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, and I'm one of 11 now, but at the time it was uh, six uh, born in Eritrea, one born in Italy, and then three born here. And but were they fast at runners? That time, Two oldest brothers ran. Uh, I was at junior high, and they were fast, fast runners. And uh, but they were already, you know, gone to high school, or one of them was a freshman. Says this little one is really good, and that's you know. And but we ran together in high school. Uh, we actually won CIF, which is a local San Diego section. We won as a team. We finished eighth at the state meet, and. Uh, you know, I was, you know, it was fun to be with them. And if it wasn't them introduced me to the sport, I, I didn't even know what I would be, have been doing right now. Did the, co the coach took you in in San Diego? Was it that coach that stuck with you? Like, who was it that, that took you in and said, we're going to do this together? I mean, I had, you know, Coach Duke Lord was a seventh grade PE teacher. And then Ed Ramos was my high school coach. And then I got a lot of help from on the, on the side from uh, Coach Ron Tab, And then UCLA coach Bob Larson and then so those were the coaches that kind of molded me who I am right now but at the same time just I had different goals in high school I just want to be the best in the high school and then I want to be the best in the league and then hopefully the best in the San Diego County and then maybe the state meet didn't happen until the next, my my uh, senior year but at the same time you work towards something and you want to go to college you want to be the best NCAA and then once you graduate that I want to be the best in the U.S. and then hopefully be best in, one of the best in the world and all those dreams have come true, but it took a lot of hard work and perseverance and determination. You had a setback you described earlier mm -hmm. where, where you hurt your pelvis. What other setbacks along the way? <laughs> I have so many setbacks. Uh, I have on a book called uh, Run to Overcome. is my autobiography, and you can read all about it. But I had rupture quads, both of them, Achilles tendonitis. I had a soleus tear. I had pelvis stretch fracture. Uh, tendonitis, probably knees and Achilles and all that stuff, but you know, it's part of the sport. I always say injuries are part of the sport, it's just how do you get out of it and you know, there's a lot of people that are willing to help and you have to seek guidance and they're there to help you. But, you. but you had a frame of reference, you mentioned it earlier, where you're thinking to yourself, big deal, I've got some pain in my pelvis, I'm not living with the scorpions and the hyenas in the jungle, <laughs> right? I made it out of Italy, like, right? You've got a frame of reference where it's really not that big a deal. You know, uh, Pain is temporary, pride is forever, and you know, when you look back to your upbringing, Eritrea, where I was born in Eritrea, people don't have electricity, don't have lights. We get our cell phones to run out of battery, we get paranoid. Right. They don't have a light to live, or to read, or to study, or to do whatever is essential that we do. We look for the closest charger in that, you know, around. And and, that's a problem. Yeah, and right. frame of reference, like you call. So right. for me, is you know, when things go challenging, I, you know, when I'm running a marathon, I know I have a fluid station waiting for me every 5K or which is three miles or four miles. But I know my dad and I have that opportunity for 225 miles. He doesn't know what he's going to spend next meal or what he's going to spend the night and all that. So you have to think about those. And he did the, be the best he could to get us out of 
himself to save us and I have to do the best that I can to make sure my sponsors and people who are associated with me have uh, success because they count on me to be the best that I can. They sacrifice their time and energy and I want to make sure I give them 110%. Tell me about your uh, brothers and sisters. Oh, my brothers and sisters, you know, ours is really an American story because we came here with nothing but the clothes on our back, but we had a lot of love for each other and we came here without speaking the language. We tough situation to be in, new culture, uh, no finance, but my parents gave us the opportunity of a lifetime and they didn't have higher education for them, but they understand the value of higher education. And so my brother in ninth grade, he was had the toughest because they just played him in ninth grade, not knowing English. And he worked hard and he got the most outstanding student. And my dad used to wake us up at 4.30 in the morning to learn, to learn English before we went to class. So wow. there was a lot of hard work, but eventually the success is that all of them has gone to college and done something wonderful, you know, education engineering, law, doctor, MBA, and uh, I'm the runner, you know. <laughs> so you, but your dad probably didn't speak much English. You know, my dad was a very smart man. He spoke Italian because Eritrea was an Italian colony. Right. And he did, he speak Amharic because of the vicinity. Got and it. he spoke Arabic and then a uh, little English. He went up to seventh grade. So he, he navigated somehow to be able to manage to get out. And uh, he was the only one that spoke some English when we came to the United States. So he helped out the best he can. And you, got, you guys have a 4.30. So I get my, uh, we talked earlier, I get my kids up every morning at um, 5.45 and my wife says I'm crazy. So <laughs> I could probably start doing 4.30. We got a sec another second crazy person like yourself, like my dad. But you know what? When we're crazy and do things, is, is a, we are high achievers. We want to do the best that we can and uh, we want to sacrifice ev everything to, to be better. To get ahead. To get ahead. Right? To push the limits. Yeah, exactly. My, um, my son, I, as we spoke earlier, did New York Marathon, and my other son did uh, Boston Marathon, and both of them, uh, they saw you out there, and uh, they're coming for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's great to see that, you know, your kids do the marathon, and, uh, you know, it's pretty special, uh, especially Boston, and uh, to, to be able to just say, you know, what the first American to win in 31 years after what happened. We will be unified under the Boston Strong umbrella. Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time since 1983, we are going to see an American man win the Boston Marathon. Oh, unbelievable. 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 The American dream is right here. Ed Kuklinski wins the Boston Marathon. I mean, I took a lot of internal pressure for me to be able to say, uh, what can I do positive to change the Boston Street of the catastrophic bombing site? What can I do to impact? people in a positive way and you can think of that you can visualize it but on uh, April 21st you have to deliver and I feel so proud to have delivered and you know you know that 520 mile that I talked about in seventh grade that just became a 430 mile 16 and still have 10 miles to go that's what Absolutely. I ran my split but when you're doing it for a greater cause than yourself it's huge and I had the victims names uh, on my bib that I rode the night before and I was drawing energy from them and spirit and the crowd was phenomenal and you know it just you know in a marathon you don't break early you know you try to hold on but sometimes you have to listen to instincts and go for it and you, you I, went I went for it and I, I was the 15th or so fastest guy in the race but you know you got to do that day and I was so proud to be able to pull the victory for the NSA. You're awesome super inspirational story. Yeah, very kind. Um, Thank you The so rest much. of the world needs to listen to this and Spartan up. Well. Thank you so much, and good luck, and have fun. I always, I always say run to win. It's not about getting first place, but getting the best out of yourself each time and every time, and everything that you do. Go out there, be the best human being you can be. You're going to do a Spartan race, I heard. <laughs> <laughs>
coming back in, you. I guess I'll come back in. Okay, I'm back. back. Jump in, man. We are back. We are with Colonel Nye, who is also from North Africa. I am. I'm a Moroccan. Explain that. I was born in Morocco. <laughs> I mean, it, were you really? I, I really was. I was born in Casablanca. Cool. My, my father was in the military, so I was born there. So, so it doesn't always make sense, and that's what we learned well, in, the, in this interview. You start to dig in. You, people have amazing stories. Oh, incredible! I mean, what, what do you say? His father had to leave. There were six of them. Father had to run 220 miles to escape uh, a war-torn country. Uh, went to Italy. Went to Italy. Made six, his way to six years five, later. Five years. Well, five years without any communication. And and then sent for the whole family. Right. And uh, just an unreal story. Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of story that gives you hope. Yep, right? absolutely. That, and, and, and changes your frame of reference and makes you realize how good we have it. I mean, yeah. this kid, um, well, he's not a kid anymore, went through hell and back, but um, makes you tougher. It, yeah, and I loved when he talked about, um, you know, when he was in Italy and uh, stayed in touch with his teacher and still in touch with her. But when he was in the States, he wasn't really, he didn't think of himself as a runner, but he wanted to make his mark. Remember he talked about that at the school, if you beat six minutes on the mile, they put your name on the wall. Yeah. So we went and ran a 520, <laughs> and the coach said, this kid's going to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, seventh grade. Well, yeah, yeah. I thought it was also hilarious. He goes, I didn't know running was a sport, right? Because you look at his father going out of war toward an Eritrea, I'm saying, yeah. right? And I mean, like he's running up trees to hide from like megafauna predators and stuff. And yeah. you know, in, in that case, you're hunting, you're gathering, you're running for survival. Yeah. And then he's like, "Well, what are they chasing?" I thought that was so <laughs> right. funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't get it. Yeah, he had <laughs> a gr- he had a great sense of humor, and it's funny because we think of these like serious runners, and you know, you sort of have this picture of them being these like very uh, mono people that they just do the one thing. But he's obviously a pretty well-rounded guy. No doubt about it. I mean, it helps being a worldly like that and coming from other countries and just going through um, difficulties. Yeah. Makes, I think it makes you learn to smile through it, mm-hmm. right? Because you have to. Yeah, sure. Yeah, he seemed to almost have a, a grace, a presence, yeah. you know? I mean, uh, almost Elegance. a religious kind of, I mean, just, just you're right. Humor, humble. But poised. Just poised, I mean. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, he had to learn different languages. Yeah. Uh, although I guess I didn't realize that that Eritrean spoke Italian or were, yeah. were some form of it. So, so the Italian came, but he had to speak the English and he speak the English. Yeah. And then yeah. he, you know, I mean, he came as a kid. His brother was in high school. Yeah. Uh, and just got plopped down day one without a word of English. And the father would wake him up and make him learn English before he even went to school. You know, and all these he talked about the whole family being successful. I mean, it's it's really I could see this story easily being a movie. Oh, without a doubt. You know, and one of the things that makes his story so unique. And when you mentioned the grace, I think it's that grace that allowed him to stay at the top of his game for so long. Like it was a ten-year span Mm. between the two um, marathons and the Olympics in the middle. I think, but you know, most people they peak over a four-year period. And he talked about um, that uh, when he came second at the Olympics. And he said, I don't have four more years to wait. To, so he had to come back and peak again for, for another marathon. But, it, but to, to win marathons 10 years apart is astonishing. Well, we go all the way back to one of our first interviews and what, what was grit, what was the definition uh, that the doctor gave us, you know, the sustained passion over time. Angela, right? Angela, doctor. Sustained yeah. passion and yeah. sustained high level. Mm-hmm. You know, Even a, when things are bleak. Right. So here's right. a guy at 10 years being right. able to continue at that, at that level. And, and, you know, to, to realize that in the middle of it, he had a hip fracture that, as he said, he couldn't walk. He literally would have to crawl from room to room. So you picture these guys at the top of their game, and you think, well, yeah, if I had that body, if I had that, you know, biology, whatever, yeah. I would be a great athlete. But yeah, the, the work the he's had to do yeah. to do that and the, 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 the strain and struggle along the way, it's, it really shone a light on the sacrifice those guys make. Yeah, I could, I could run the rest of my life and never run a 430 mile, much less 
26 of them in a in row. A row. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, because he could never bench press 350. It's like the podcast of Robin, right? I mean, these people get serious injuries and not only come back, but come back to be Olympians and be yeah. at the top of their game. And it's so inspiring because most people say like, oh, I'm done. That's it. Yeah. And if you don't know what she's referring to there, Robin Benacas is another podcaster earlier. Go look that one up. A lady who said, what, four hip replacements. Mm -hmm. Incredible. Really inspiring woman. Yeah. So, All right. Cool. Great. So go to SpartanUpPodcast.com. Go for a run. Find show notes, video, and audio from this episode at SpartanUpPodcast.com backslash 059. Or follow us on Twitter at SpartanUpPod. The SpartanUp Podcast is brought to you by Spartan. To find a race near you, visit Spartan.com. Spartan.com.